Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh, and we're at over 200 episodes already. This is a Mesh Musings episode where I do a relatively short overview, some might call a few of them rants, on a specific topic related to Data Mesh. I try to put uh, you know my few summary takeaways in the show notes too to make it easy to decide if this will be useful for you. Quick reminder as well to hit the Data Mesh Understanding link in the show notes to easily review listings of past episodes you might have missed, you know, that I've grouped up on different topics to make it easy if you want to do like a deep dive into governance or something like that. Do check out the Data Mesh Understanding offerings as well and the free community introduction and roundtable programs while you're there. Now with that, on to the Mesh Musing. heck do we do federated computational governance part one mesh musings number 41 so this will be a topic i circle back on a lot because it deserves a lot of attention and also there's zero chance i could cover everything in a just a single episode plus i'm no expert on this i'm still learning the community is still learning so our understanding of all this is going to evolve so with those caveats out of the way, let's talk about a few misconceptions and anti-patterns to start. And these are ones that I see quite often. The first is that federated equals decentralized. It's just not true. The U.S. doesn't have a well-functioning government, but there is still the federal level and then the more local state and municipality levels. This misconception of everything being decentralized is one of the reasons everyone gets very concerned about silos. Right? You look at organizations where everything is decentralized and they're all silos. So we need that kind of central coordination. Right? Jamak has said it. I've said it. So many guests have said it. You need a centralized group that is ensuring the coordination, acting as an advisor, but not doing the work that should be done at the domain level. So having centralized expertise for advanced challenges like GDPR compliance, developing the interoperability standards, developing the data quality definition standards, measuring value of the data work, owning the standard of of what should be in the catalog for a data product and so much more, right? That should be owned by a centralized team, but then the work that gets done is at the domain level. The idea that everything gets decentralized is crazy. And as Sarita Bax mentioned in episode 52, domains have different capabilities. So how much is centralized versus decentralized can also be dependent on what can that domain actually handle, right? You don't have to say this is exactly what the one size fits all for everything. Another misconception is the whole unnecessary binary thinking around owning the capabilities. This is probably my biggest pet peeve about data people and most people talking about data mesh aspects. Think about raising a kid. When are they an adult? Is it randomly 
their 18th birthday? Or is it when they can stand on their own? Or do we want to arbitrarily make cutoffs and hard lines or reflect reality here? The stuff is going to be messy. You kind of have to embrace that stuff is going to be a little squishy in a lot of cases, especially as you're on your early journey. When you are starting out, some great advice that emerges from almost every episode of people that are implementing seems to be make it easy for people to make the right decisions. This is often selecting a, a use case that isn't difficult with lots of particulars around governance. So, you know, don't pick one with messy PII or regulatory or strong access control concerns. You are building up the capabilities. It's not like, boom, this, you know, this ownership, including of the governance is yours now for the domain. Bye, right? This is about how much should we actually put into the domain's hands and when, and it's not a one or a zero. That's that unnecessary binary thinking. I'm sure future episodes on this topic will have many more misconceptions to dispel, but let's not only focus on the negative. I I can sometimes do that a few bit too often. So let's talk about getting your governance right at the start of your journey. I've had a number of guests on that said they wish they focused a bit more on the governance at the start of their journey or that early governance work is paying off. What I will counterbalance that with is the concept of survivorship bias. We are hearing the stories of people who didn't spend so much time and effort on governance that their journey didn't get going. So don't take this as a recommendation or permission to spend years building your governance before getting going. But I'm also not advocating for focusing on the quick win over the long term. That puts you in the spot of seeing opportunities, grabbing it, and then 6, 12, 18 months later, you have a ton of overlap in your data products and no real big picture strategy. So look for the use cases that are not that challenging and help you learn. Look to make it easy for domains to do the right thing when it comes to governance. Easier said than done, but still, you want to be in close contact and and extracting their governance friction points to automate, you know, and pre-answer what you can. But again, when you're getting started, don't try to take on too much. And it's okay to not have your entire governance done up front. I think Orpheum's episode was really, really uh good about saying we tried to do all these things and it just it didn't work right we tried to do all these things too early and it wasn't worth the juice wasn't worth the squeeze right so think about that as to is this adding value to do this versus especially when you're just getting going when thinking about interoperability i'm kind of seeing the idea of like general mapping from uh interoperability you know that general knowledge graph, but not super, super specific knowledge graph. People are looking for universal interoperability, but that just puts us back into the rigidity and limited scaling of the data warehouse. No, right? So if you say start with everything must fit this way of of dealing with data so everything interoperates, it puts an undue burden on the domains who also don't know enough about data anyway right now. And it Also, it means you don't have the nimbleness to make changes, right? It's okay, especially as you're starting out, to have one-to-one interoperability where you go, we're going to do custom integration between these two domains, and then we're going to work towards a standard that these domains also fit towards, but like, it's okay to do that. So I think you want to think about doing that point-to-point interoperability with an eye on reusability and defining some light global standards that are optional to comply with. 
It gets you figuring out your interoperability as you go. If you want a few interesting takes on this, one is Rosier's has one in uh, episode six, and Scott Hawkins has a really great insight, um, in my view, when he talked about getting to mostly covered by a unique universal identifier. It's like 98% of, of people and households and, th- and things were to a unique identifier and 2% where they couldn't really be sure if this was person or household that had more than one um, service. But like that 98% was way better than what they were doing previously. And it made things so much more valuable is that extra 2%, that kind of Pareto principle, but maybe even uh, double Pareto principle where it would be like 4% of the value, but it would be, you know, 90% of the work (laughs) kind of thing, right? Um, and then at the end of the day, that was good enough, right? Like I said, I, I think Jill Maffeo's episode is really helpful as well on this topic, episode 151. I, I'm not deep enough here to say here's a blueprint for exactly how to do interoperability, but I think you can really start to figure out um, what matters and why when. Speaking of, you know, I'm not, like I said, I'm not here to say there's a blueprint and speaking of blueprints, you know, I know amazing transition. This seems to be the biggest recurring advice. Um, and it really does fit at the governance level because you want to be having these centralized, uh, blueprints to help people not focusing on automated access control or interoperability. Even it's about finding the friction points and providing automation or easy choices for people. And the friction points will probably be really, really, right? That they will be very surprising for you. Some platform teams have told me they are less of a platform team and more of a blueprint team because it's a very easy way to get high quality, highly reusable data out quickly, right? If it's not that complicated for this domain, they don't have to do all this crazy stuff and there's just a blueprint, boom, it fits in that great there's something out the door pretty quickly. Now, that last aspect is a double-edged sword, but the point remains. Governance needs to really be focused on easy buttons early, learning what would make people's lives easier. Typically, that's default decisions and aspects where they can make different choices if desired. Blueprints for quality measurement SLAs, for standard company schema format, yes, it can be happy. It can be very helpful to have a standard schema and things like that. Unique ID standards, formats for storing events, et cetera. Just make it so people can get something in the hands of others, but that it's possible to easily take a prototype to production without that production becoming a massive hassle to handle. Product thinking, you know? The last two points I'll talk about in this episode are a quick bit about access control and then start into data contracts, data quality, SLAs, et cetera. Won't fully dig into that, but good kind of overview and good touching on that. So this could be in misconceptions too, because a biggie I hear a lot is about automated access control. Jim Acton's talked about this. It it isn't some random thing that people are, are hitting on, but If you look at APIs on the operational plane, there is governance or policies embedded as part of the API. But one, we don't know how to do APIs well on the kind of analytical AI ML side. And two, 
we probably aren't at the scale with uh, a data mesh implementation where that matters right now, right? If you start trying to share data externally, maybe. So instead, make it extremely simple to and, and quick to request and grant access to data. Don't get bogged down just yet at the start. Yes, we need pioneers, but this ain't a, a gate to get to getting good initial value, right? You shouldn't make automated access control the thing that you have to do in order to start your data mesh journey. Okay, quality and governance. So one of the big reasons people hate talking data quality is because almost always it's you too nebulous, right? So as a governance team, your job, that central governance team, is to create standards for how data quality will be measured. I'll repeat, standards for how data quality will be measured. Not doing the measurement, not setting the standards for quality. That should be set on a use but, you know, by use case basis, but making it easy for people to measure their own data quality and then very especially how potential consumers can understand how quality is measured, that it's all the same, that creates trust, which understanding and trust are essentially the things missing in data for so many organizations and why data is far harder than it needs to be. I always think back to this post someone made on Facebook and then it made the internet rounds and they were talking about a movie and they, they gave it a five out of seven and someone was super confused and was kind of making fun of them about it. But it was like, is that good? Is that bad? Right. Another one would be my high school. If you took advanced classes, they were on a 5.0 scale. So an A was a 5.0, whereas for normal classes and in in most schools, an A is a 4.0. You know, 4.0 is supposed to be a perfect grade point average. But in my high school class of 376 people, we had 50 people with a GPA of 4.0 or above. If we had one fewer person, if we had 375 instead of 376, and that would be two out of 15 people had, quote unquote, a perfect GPA. Some schools even have classes that are so tough, they're on a seven point scale. So how the heck do I compare performance from one school to the next, right? We need to stop with the wishy-washy and talk about a clear definition on multiple aspects of, of information. Yes, we need informed consumers that get what a 95% accuracy or completeness rating means. We also need a definition of exactly what it means that is measured the same way across these data products, across the different sources. It would be like a sociologist that wants to study twins having to learn a new twin language. And yes, twins often create their own shared language, but they would have to learn this new twin language every time they wanted to speak to a new set of twins. That's just exhausting. We shouldn't have the data consumers have to learn a new way of measuring data quality and defining it every time they look at a new data product. So data contracts, my old friend. I'm a bit sorry for kicking that hornet's nest and getting some people kind of known for that. Right, My bad. I'm (laughs) going to have a much longer rant on it uh, in Mesh Musings number 43. But when you think about signing a contract, is the only thing about the contract the actual legal language. Like you buy some SaaS offering from an emerging startup. Was that the only interaction and the only information exchange about the legal contract? Probably not. 
So why is it so different with data? Why are we so obsessed with only having the contract be around the actual schema and SLAs, right? I, I am so confused by the people claiming it's, you know, a posted note about here's what you get with this data product. Well, what if that's not what I want? Why wouldn't we exchange information and see how we can partner to serve my use case? Kan Chow, I think his episode resonates a lot because he talked about this with data services versus data products in episode 44. Data services was a, here's what you get, and it sucked, right? There was so much work on, on the consumer side. The, the total cost of ownership was very misleading because the data product didn't meet actual needs. So why are we pretending this is not a relationship between producer and consumer? Or why are we having it not be a relationship? That's even way worse. Okay, I have a much longer rant prepared, so I won't go into more of that now, but you can tell I'm pretty passionate about it. I will have much more to say on federated governance in data mesh in the future, but to reiterate the points that I made here. Number one, federated doesn't mean decentralize everything. Really focus on enabling fast decisions with the people who have the understanding. Number two, shared ownership of responsibilities or oversight, but not owned by the central team can work. Stop thinking that this shoves all the ownership to the domain on day one. They aren't ready for that. Your ownership and and how this works can be a bit squishy. That is okay. Number three, start to plan out your governance roadmap pretty concretely at the start, but don't be worried about trying to have your ideal governance actually done, right? You don't have to do all the work up front. You should be thinking about what you need to do, and but you don't have to do it all, right? I've talked about kind of CYA or cover your dot, 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 but think about what makes sense and what you can build as a skeleton up front rather than trying to build a fully functioning body. Number four, start to think about interoperability at the concept level, that semantic level, but you don't need to have your ultimate interoperability plan from the start. You can enhance and develop it as you go. Samia Rahman talked about this a lot in her episode. And go talk to people about what they're actually doing because nobody's publishing this, what they're doing, because I think everybody's ashamed of what they've done, but you just need to, if you're having difficulty understanding interoperability, there's been, I think, 50 people on this podcast or something that are implementing, go talk to them, go ask them. Like there's 150, 200 people that have talked about their use cases in general publicly. Go talk to them, go ask them. Number five, blueprints. Do all the blueprints that you can, please find friction and find a way to make easy buttons on these things. There are tens of episodes that touch on how important and how valuable blueprints have been. And I think one good one would be to go look at what Agile Lab is doing, especially around kind of blueprints and making easy buttons. Number six, leave automated access control stuff for later. Focus on fast requests and granting of access. Number seven, create data quality standards of measurement. That way everyone can understand how much they can trust a data product and why. Number eight, data contracts are about a producer-consumer relationship. This ain't a transaction. Get to know both sides and build an understanding of what information is actually shared. 
So I'm going to have obviously much more on this topic, but hopefully this has been useful in kind of getting you going and giving you some permission to not have it all figured out up front. Hopefully that was a useful mesh musing for you. Please do rate and review the podcast. It really does help. And if you'd like to get in touch and see how I can be helpful to you, check out the show notes. I'm pretty easy to find. As I mentioned, there are some great free programs in addition to some very affordable things around implementer intros and roundtables on the Data Mesh Understanding website. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch. Have a wonderful rest of your day. And with that, now on to the funky outro music. Music.